0: Om samsarsvati namaham namaste. Well, after a long absence, we're going to continue the discussion of chapter one. And if you remember correctly, the king and the businessman went to the rishi and they said, Your ashram is so beautiful. Yes. And the food is so tasty. And Ma's cooking for us. And all we have to do is sit and worship and enjoy the bliss of consciousness and just be one with our spiritual selves. And why is it that our minds are thinking about what we left behind? and what we're going to go forward to and what's go- what happened and what's going to happen and our minds are all over the place they are every place except for being right here right now I mean it's hard enough just to sit in the kitchen and talk about enlightenment <laughs> uh, we it, it's just it, we uh, our minds are just all over the place How do we make them sit still? Why is it we understand that this is attachment, this is ego, this is uh, uh, the history of the most important person on this planet, it's me, it's my history, it's my thoughts, it's my stuff that left me. Why is it that I understand this? And still I can't control my mind. Now what am I going to do about it? Because you didn't drink mother milk. It didn't drink mother's milk. You know, mother breast right breast is wisdom, left breast is devotion. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we're all a little hungry. <laughs> So here we are in chapter one. It's the first chapter. We've got the king and the businessman sitting with the rishi, saying he and I are as fools without the capacity of discrimination. And on page 130 of the Chandipat, we are on verse number 46. And it says, the rishi said, And the rishi said, Oh, great light of luminous splendor. Look how he addresses his disciple. (laughs) Wow, you are really something. You asked the right question. All that lives has knowledge of objects perceived by the senses. But the objects of the senses are perceived differently by all beings. Some beings are unable to see in the day, while others are unable to see in the night. And still, others have the capacity to see equally well in the day and in the night. And then there are others of us who can't see at all whether it's day or night. Or whether the light is on or whether the light is off, all we see is the objects of my attachment and my own projections and my own ego. It is true that humans have a capacity of understanding but not only humans this knowledge is common to all animals whether beasts of the forest and birds of the air all living beings possess this understanding just as human beings oh it, we all have a capacity of discrimination even plants even rocks they all have a capacity of discrimination because you know what? When the rock gets hot, the molecules inside, the protons, neutrons, electrons, quarks, and other subatomic particles, they move slower. And when they gets cold, they move faster. And in this way, they all have a capacity of recognition there is some consciousness. Just as in human beings the capacity of understanding exists in all animals and this is a general principle that the understanding of the two is alike. So if you can recognize, if you become aware of, if you have consciousness, then consciousness is the same whether it's in an animal or in a human being. It's aware. It recognizes. Just what it recognizes is significantly limited in an animal as compared to human because humans have the capacity to think lots of thoughts, whereas animals think smaller thoughts, little thoughts. Their desires are sort of directed to self-preservation, like I want to survive. So I need to eat, I need to sleep, I need to mate. And that's all that's it now there i know a lot of human beings who have those things on their minds but uh, there are greater aspirations of humans Uh, so the general principle is that the understanding of the two is alike look at those birds Mm -hmm. though they have knowledge Because of attachment, they are ignoring their own hunger and are busy putting food in the mouths of their children. Well, a bird can do it, and certainly Srima could do it. Uh, I'm a bird. Oh, I know. You are the the mother of all the birds. Uh, But to bring them on men, humans are different because they are desirous of attaining Reciprocal assistance from their children in their need. So a lot of parents nurture their children because they think that their children are going to take care of them when they can't can't nurture them anymore. As the children grow in their capacities, they get some reciprocal assistance and they have a motivation for selfish interest. Can't you see that desire in their greed? People are hurled into the whirlpool of attachment and the pit of delusion by the great measurement of consciousness, who is the cause of the circumstance of all objects in the creation and of their relationships. For this there is no need to wonder, So here, there's there's no need to wonder, all the energy of all the energy is this great measurement of consciousness, the great limitation of consciousness. She is the form of all forms, she defines every object, every individual, every relationship, and she hurls humanity into this whirlpool of delusion and attachment, by giving energy to the various forms and the various circumstances and that correspondingly results in a withdrawal of energy from our divine consciousness. So when she gives energy to the thoughts, we think lots of thoughts. And when she gives energy to the gods, we only think about her. So the consciousness of the universe, the Supreme Lord, is put into the sleep of divine union by the great measurement. And therefore the world is deluded by her. So here's this infinite consciousness, even he, Brahma, Vishnu and Maheshwar, even Vishnu is subject to the withdrawal of energy of this great measurement of consciousness. When she takes away the energy from Vishnu, he goes into Yoganidra. He goes into the sleep of divine union and he becomes Unaware. He becomes unconscious to the activities that are going on in the universe. She, this supreme goddess, the great measurement of consciousness, attracts the perceiving capacity of all sensible beings with such force as to thrust them into the ignorance of egotistical attachment. When she withdraws her energy from our conscious being and gives it to the thoughts. All we see are the thoughts, and the thoughts are our reality. But when she gives that same energy to the gods, all we can think about is the illumination of unity, rather than the division and the diversion of disunity, of individuality. The universe is born from her, the perceivable world with all that moves and moves not, and it is she who, after satisfaction, bestows upon humans the blessing of liberation. It is she who is the ultimate knowledge, the cause of the liberation of consciousness, the eternal existence, and... She is the cause of the bondage of consciousness to objects and their relationships, the full and complete supreme of over all sovereigns. So this Mahamaya, the great Shakti, the great measurement, the great limitation, the great illusion, the great delusion, she has this, all the energy in the universe is hers. And she can distribute this energy at will wherever she wants to. And if we become unconscious, she gives that energy to the thoughts, and the thoughts make us think about individual me, and what's in it for me, and mine, and my relationship to all the other phenomena of the universe. And if we pray to her, and she is satisfied with the sincerity of our prayer. With the intensity of our devotion, if she's satisfied, she'll withdraw the energy from the thoughts, and she will give it to the gods, and we become illuminated, shining, enlightened beings. And that's just the key to it. When she wants, or when we neglect her, we distribute the energy to the thoughts ourselves. We become the vehicles of her distribution by forgetting her. And we think about objects and relationships and me and mine and what's in it for me. And when we think about her, she says, oh, you guys are really paying attention. You're really sincere. I'm going to take the energy away from all the other thoughts. And I'm going to give it to the gods, and I'm going to make them shine, and I will make you illuminated, the divine beings who are shining. So it is she who is the full and complete supreme above all sovereigns. All the kings, all those with authority, everyone who says, I can do it, they can only do it with her energy. In fact, they have no energy except for the energy that she gives. All the energy in the universe is hers. So if she likes, she can give the energy to the thoughts and we'll just go on thinking this and that. And if we say, stop, please mom, take the energy away from the thoughts and illuminate the divinity." then she'll say, gee, I, I like that idea, that's a good idea you have, I'm going to withdraw my energy from worldliness and give it to your divine aspiration and therefore you can achieve that success that you're seeking because all the energy is mine, there is only one energy in the universe, the mother of the universe. The Divine Mother is the embodiment of all the energy of the universe. So when we forget her, she makes us spin in the whirlpool of attachment and egotism and objects and relationships. And when we pray to her with one-pointed attention, she takes that energy away from worldliness and gives it to the gods and makes us illuminated. And the king said revered one, who is that goddess, the great measurement of consciousness of whom you speak? Tell, O wise, one of the actions by which she is known, what is the cause of this goddess, what is her intrinsic nature, what of her birth? All this I wish to hear from you, O most excellent among the knowers of the one self-existent being. Right. Hey, tell me about her. I mean, I, I, it's, it's a lot that you say that she is all energy. But where did she come from? What's her name? What does she look like? What, does she wear a yellow sari with a red border? Does she... What does she do? How does she manifest that energy if she's the energy of all and everything? How can I know it's her? Rishi said she is eternal and the gross world and all the individual phenomena in it are her visible forms everything you can see is a form of her it's another limitation of consciousness she limited she put it in a container so we could see it Uh, so i can say that's a jennifer and that's a shivani and that's a lori and these are all different phenomena different objects different individual manifestations of that one energy all the individual phenomena in it are her visible forms in many ways she is manifest here of them from me notwithstanding that she is eternal and unborn nevertheless when divine ones perform actions for the attainment of this cause she becomes manifest in the world what divine people who are illuminated people sadhus people who are rishis, people who are devas people who are inspired to make her manifest motivated to make her manifest in a physical in an individual form so that we can have a relationship with her like these, all these goddesses that came up on our altar, we we prayed, Mother. We want to see you. We want to have a personal relationship with you. And Mother said, Go down to the bank of the river, dig up the mud, mix it with straw, pray, and my forms will become manifest. And that's what we did. We went down to the river, we scooped up the mud, we clicked, take out all the stones, and then we mixed it with the straw, and we prayed, and these forms came marching out of the river and said, Make us a temple. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Divine ones were... Uh, if, Performing actions for the attainment of the making her manifest. They were motivated to make her manifest. Now, at the end of the period for manifestation, when the gross world was indistinguishable, indistinguishable potentiality. That's a mouthful, right there. That Mahapraloy. The, 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 there was nothing in existence all the energy went into the battery it was all potential energy there was no kinetic energy nothing was manifest no forms no it was just infinite energy and infinite consciousness all unmanifest all the energy in the universe was in the battery (laughs) you couldn't see it manifest there were the battery wasn't connected to anything Then, at that time, the revered Divine Lord, the Universal Consciousness, we're calling him Lord Vishnu here, rested at the end of infinity in the sleep of divine union. Everybody, please go to the end of infinity. And when you get to where you can't go any further, go a little further. And when you go farther and further and further past the ends of infinity, there is the Supreme Consciousness reclined on the sofa, on the couch of infinity. Snake couch. On the snake couch. <laughs> in the sleep of divine union. He was totally in Yoganidra. He was in yoga, which means the perfection of union and he was in nidra sleep he was oblivious to anything else going on outside totally contained inside only perceiving his own illumination there was no external phenomena nothing outside dvithiam na mamapra there wasn't a second Only that one infinite consciousness residing within himself, in union with his own self. Consciousness and nature were united. Then, from the dirt of the ears of this perceiving capacity, Bishtu's ears had some wax in them, and from the dirt of his ears came, arose two terrible thoughts known as too much and too little. And they were ready to slay the divine creative capacity who was seated in the lotus blossom of the navel of consciousness. Then, Martha, everybody has everybody a has, and yeah, dirt. Yeah, everybody's here has a little dirt. Yeah, even consciousness. Even the Supreme Lord has a little bit of dirt because he, too little started. He, he came out and manifested himself and said, what are you doing in the sleep of divine union? You don't have enough. You have to have something here. There's nothing here. Here you are at the edge of infinity. I'll make something so that we know that you exist. You what's the proof that you're here? There has to be two. In order for you to see, so there's an I who sees a you. Because if there's no duality, there's only oneness. So how, how do you know you exist? Who is this I? Aham Ramashmi Shivoham. How long can you stay in that divine union? If you put two weights of equal measure on both sides of the scale, the scale will balance. But after some time, one side will always tip. Even they were perfectly balanced weights, one after some time it can't maintain the perfection of equilibrium there has to be some force to cause it to go out of balance and that was too little says you need another one and too much says you got too much you got to come outside and give it away and share it and then they were going to stifle the creative capacity and the creative capacity with Brahma, the consciousness of creative capacity. He says, I'm going to make this energy manifest. And too little says, how are you going to do that? You don't have enough to do that. You got to make, you got to get some more. And too much said, you got too much. You can't make it manifest. And now they were about to devour the creative capacity brahma said i'm an old man my days of fighting asuras are gone and these two young whippersnappers are are too strong for me anyway and they're too fast so look at them dance i mean these guys are too much and too little they got a lot and i don't have that so the ruler of uh, the creative capacity was the ruler of beings seeing the approach of the two thoughts and the causer of being that's janardhan vishnu uh, being indifferently asleep in divine union he didn't see anything that was going on in the world there was no external manifestation then with one pointed attention, he began to praise divine union from his heart. He's, so he said, hey, Vishnu, wake up, would you please? I, the, here come these two thoughts, and they're going to attack me, and I'm an old man, and I'm not ready to fight with the shuras. You are the protector of the universe. You are the defender of the universe. Wake up, Vishnu. <clears throat> wake up. And Vishnu stayed there sleeping. Brahma called again, Vishnu, you are the defender of the weak. I'm an old man, I'm weak. Come and help me out. Look at my long gray beards. i turn white with age. Come and help me out. Vishnu stayed asleep in the sleep of divine union. He was absolutely, uh, he he couldn't, uh, he was totally unaware of what was going on outside. So then, Brahma, the creative capacity, said, hey, this divine union is a goddess. She is the energy of all in everything. If I pray to that energy, she'll wake up Vishnu. And then Vishnu will come and fight the Asuras for me. So he, for the purpose of awakening the eyes of consciousness, the brilliant one, the revered one of brilliant light, that's Brahma, Exalt the ruler of the universe, the creator of the perceivable world, the cause of evolution and devolution, the goddess of sleep, the unequaled energy of consciousness in the form of Mahakali. He uh, said, hey, Mahakali, you are the unequal energy of consciousness get up get out of vishnu wake up vishnu wake him up and make him aware that these asuras are gonna attack me and i'm an old man i'm a senior citizen and you know you get even worse points if you attack a senior citizen (laughs) i mean that's an automatic felony (laughs) So tell Vishnu to get up off his bed and come fight these assurances. And the creative capacity Brahma said, Hey, mom, he said, You are ablations of I am one with God. And you are ablations of union with ancestors. You are ablations of purity and the consciousness of all sound. Every time any sadhu makes any offering, he's making it to you. Through you alone, we make offerings. You are the word swaha, I am one with God, the unity of the individual with the supreme. You are swada, the the unity with the individual, with his ancestors. You are the the consciousness uh, of ablations of purity and the consciousness of all sound. Every vibration is a manifestation of energy and it's all you. You are the eternal essence of all the letters. You're the matricus. You are the consciousness of the three vowels. And that could be all of the threes you are the eternal half bow and its special mode of pronunciation you are Answar, the sound of an atom can
1: mm-hmm.
0: when you do that sound you take all vibration your forehead I take it to the place where the eyes, the ears, the nose, and the mouth unite. Mm-hmm. Right here in the third eye, not yeah. up here in the forehead, but right here in the third eye. And that's where I vibrate. You are the time of prayer, you are the bearer of the light, you are the goddess above all beings born, the universe is sustained by you, and the perceivable world is created by you. Mama, you do it all! You are the energy of all in everything. you do it all you create it, you protect it, you train, change it, you transform it, you protect what you create O oh divine goddess and you destroy it in the end as the creator you are the form of the creation and as the form of circumstance you are its maintenance so you created it and you defined it and you entered into it and it all manifests you and it all reflects you and you protect it and then at the conclusion as the form of dissolution of perceivable existence you are the almighty measurement of being The almighty measurement of being, you have defined every individual phenomena in existence. The great knowledge, the great measurement, the great intellect, the great recollection, the great ignorance too, and your ladyship, the great goddess and the great source of strength. You are nature and the three qualities that you manifest in all. The night of time, the great night, and the night of ignorance. Or the three gunas, or all the threes. You are prosperity, you are the consciousness of all. You are humility, you are the intellect, and the goal of all knowledge. Modesty. Modesty. Increase, then complete satisfaction. Fushti, samriti, pushti. You bear the sword of wisdom and the pike of concentration, the club of articulation, where ye every time you say a mantra, you beat an ashura over the head, and the discus of revolving time, as you present a frightful form. We have all the time, all the patience we can wait. We are not impatient. You bear the conch of vibrations and the bow of determination and other weapons as well. You are mild and gentle and the ultimate of att- attractiveness and incomparable beauty. Mm-hmm. Above and beyond that, and again, even again superior, you are the supreme consciousness. You are nature and consciousness. You are Shiva and Shiva. You are purusham Prakriti. The consciousness has no existence without energy. E equals mc squared. I mean, it's it's, it's an, a scientific fact. The consciousness can't remain without the energy. You are the consciousness and again even superior. You are the supreme energy. Whatsoever exists in thought or perception whether true or untrue. The energy of everything in all is you. Then what can be sung in your praise? (laughs) If the energy of everything in all is you, whether true or untrue, if I see the rope and I think it's a snake, it's not true, but it's true to my mind right now, so you're in that energy too. So in every particle of energy, it's you. How can I sing to you? How can I describe you? How can I praise you? How can I truly love you? If he, that Vishnu guy, if he who is the evolution, circumstance, and devolution of the perceivable world is subject to the sleep that you have caused, then what can be sung of your praise? If I, I Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva fall into this uh, ni, ni, n- yoga nidra, they go into the union because you put them to sleep, huh? You rock them in the cradle and they go right to sleep. If, if the creator, the protector, and the transformer of the entire universe goes to sleep because of your energy, then what can I say about you? <laughs> I mean, I'm old, I'm a, I mean, just, Shaman. <laughs> I am smaller than an insect. You cause the maintaining capacity, that's Vishnu, and the dissolving capacity, that's Shiva, and myself, that's Brahma, that's me, (laughs) to wear bodies as well. We all have to wear bodies because of you. It's your energy that causes us to take on an embodied form. Hence, for this reason and for this cause, who has sufficient ability to sing your praise? O divine goddess, you and your heavenly and bounteous manifestations have been extolled. Cause the ignorance of egotism to fall upon these two thoughts so difficult to understand, too much and too little. Awaken the master, the consciousness of the master of the world, and rouse him from sleep. And let him conquer these two great thoughts for me and beget wisdom. So look, as she says, withdraw your energy from consciousness, from Vishnu, and give it to the thoughts, and let them become really obsessed with their strength and their prowess and their capacity, and they they get deluded by their own egos and their own attachment. And then, of course, they're easy to defeat. They'll defeat themselves. You wake up Vishnu. And withdraw your energy from the gods and give it to the asuras. The Yashurahs will become puffed up with pride and ego and they will destroy themselves. Let him conquer these two great thoughts for me and beget wisdom. The rishi said, thus praised by the pious worshiper, the goddess of rest, in order to awaken the awareness of the supreme consciousness to kill too much and too little, emerged from her dwelling in the eyes, mouth, nose, arms, chest, and heart. She quit that place where she was resting with Vishnu they, Vishnu and, and Mahakali were shacking up inside. They were just hanging out in this sleep of Yoganidra. And she, she emerged from her dwelling, and that immovable, imperceptible existence became visible to the creative capacity who is born of the unmanifest. So she removed herself from Vishnu and she presented herself in a perceivable form before Brahma. And freed by her, the lord of the world, the causer of being, rose from his couch on the infinite ocean of being. Then Vishnu got up, when he was no longer subject to the yoganidra, to the sleep of divine union, he woke up and then he saw those two wicked warriors of great strength, too much and too little, marching forward to attack. Go get him, Vishnu! Red-eyed with anger and ready in an instant to strike, they continued in their endeavor to devour the creative capacity. Then the Lord who removes confusion, that's Vishnu, he rose and waged battle with the two. For 5,000 years, <laughs> The all-pervading, omnipresent, eternal, that's Vishnu, wrestled with them arm in arm, and they became frenzied by their own strength under the delusion of the great measurement of consciousness. So Vishnu was wrestling with them, playing with them, keeping them occupied, and then they became frenzied with their own strength, and they told the one a beautiful hair, that's Keshava, that's uh, uh, Ka means the cause, A e means uh, uh, creation, and Bo means she. Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, Keshava, the one with beautiful hair, choose of them a wish. They became frenzied with their own strength, and they said, Vishnu, we're going to give you a boom. (laughs) And the Lord of the universe said, If you are so satisfied with me, then both of you be slain by me right now. (laughs) Shucks. (laughs) What other wish could be regarded this much, I ask? And the Rishi said, thus deceived, uh, they saw that the entire gross world was covered with the waters of strife. Wherever they looked, they saw this ocean of worldliness. And seeing that, they said to the Lord with lotus eyes, conquer us in the place that is not inundated by the flood of desire. If you can find one island of refuge from the ocean of desire, we will gladly be slain by you. Everywhere you look, there's desire. I mean, who doesn't want something? And the Rishi said, saying, tatastu, evamastu, let it be so. The glorious one who bears the conscious vibrations, the discus of revolving time, the club of articulation raised the two upon his loins and with the revolution of time, severed their heads. The lap of Vishnu is free from desire. (laughs) There's no desire when you sit on the lap of Vishnu. They forgot everything when he raised them up and put him on his lap. And thus praised by the creative capacity, by Brahma, she manifested herself and now i declare more of the glory of the goddess listen as i speak to you aim Om. <laughs> why are you finished <laughs> om songs there's in them ha. namaste great let's see if there are any questions before we take any questions i just want to reiterate that even too much and too little When they sit on the lap of Vishnu, they they are in such bliss, they can't think of their egotistical attachments. They forgot everything, just being in the presence of God. And so he, he was able to slay them with ease. And in this way, Mahakali manifested as the goddess Yoganidra, the energy of all in everything. Because of Brahma's sincerity in praising her, in praying to her, in in worshiping her, in focusing on her, he forgot everything else. And she manifested. When divine ones do motivated actions in order to attain this cause, to fulfill this purpose, she manifests. Just like Srima went to the bank of the river, scooped up the mud, mixed it with straw, just for that purpose, only for the purpose of receiving our devotion, did these goddesses come to the Devi mud. Om
1: Let's see if there are any questions, please. We have a question from Sadatmananda in Washington. <laughs> Namaste, Sadat Mananda. Conquer us in a place that is not inundated by the flood of desire. Where can we go to get? Where can we go to find refuge and slay them? Madhu and Kaitaba even reside at the Devi Mandir. <laughs> well, they don't eh, reside on the lap of Srima.
0: They reside in the kitchen. Where we definitely sit around the tables and discuss enlightenment and gurus and all the wonderful things that could go on in the world. We have so many things, they don't exist on the lap of Sreema.
1: We have a question from Nanda in San Jose. Namaste, Namama! Pranam, how can we fast track our sadhana and make it more intense? How to improve the quality of sadhana?
0: Only one way to improve the quality of sadhana is to make it more intense and more sincere. And make it longer and stronger and brighter and deeper. Willpower. Oh, that's a nice word. Willpower.
1: (laughs) We have a question from Joseph. Namaste, Joseph. Pranam. The Divine Mother has so many forms. What was her original form? The form of the formless. She was the form of the infinite beyond
0: conception, the form of infinite consciousness before
1: manifestation. We have a question from Tukaram.
0: Namaste, Tukaram.
1: If Chandi is the supreme consciousness and Chandi is the supreme energy, whatever exists in all is Chandi, then who is chanting the Chandi? <laughs> Me. <laughs> <laughs> Shreema
0: <laughs> The Shreema in all of us is chanting Chandi It is through her energy that we are chanting but it is definitely the, the divine urge to return to that union to recognize that manifested existence as the full and complete uh, energy
1: within all and every. We have a question from Elise. Namaste, Elise. When we make a goal, we have a desire behind that goal. If there are obstacles or realities that show up about the goal, then one has to evaluate it. In regards to the desire behind the goal, how does one know if the desire has merits sooner rather than later?
0: Look at the probable outcomes of the accomplishment or the achievement of that goal. Elise, is that goal something that will advance society? is it a contribution to the world can you call it in accordance with your dharma if it is a dharmic aspiration then you know it it will have a pure outcome and you want to put as much of divine energy into that outcome as you can if you think that's a selfish interest and you're manifesting that for your own personal gain and you have a, a, a you're motivated by greed or fear then Probably it's an impure goal, and you want to evaluate what is its place and what's its purpose in your overall scheme of life.
1: We have a question from Sadhana Shakti in Seattle. Namaste, Sadhana Shakti. Namaste, Vivek. Pranam, Vivek, Swarupananda, and I realized the other day while discussing our budget that if we chant the Chandi daily, then our life budget will automatically form around her. Can you please speak a little about budgeting around the Chandi?
0: Yes, I certainly can. We are going to have to budget our time we're going to have to budget our mind. We're going to have to budget our asan. And even this evening, we're going to put up a, an article about budgeting. <laughs> so even while you are pursuing your material girl goals in the physical world, you want to also pursue on a, a sidetrack your spiritual goals as well. And do make Chandi the, the, the center of all of your goals because you'll find out that what you thought you needed may be too much or it may be too little and that will keep you from being in the center of what you really want. Uh, so uh, yes, definitely you want to uh, make a list of all the important things that you wish to accomplish in your life. You want union with God, Asan Siddhi, understanding of Sanskrit, uh, uh, memorize the puja, uh, be one with the Sadhana, to serve your Guru. To uh, you've got a whole bunch of you've got a long list. Now. What do I need in order to accomplish those goals? I need material sufficiency. What does that mean? Does that mean I need a, a Rolls-Royce or a Bentley in every garage or a penthouse? Or does that mean I could drive an old pickup truck and live in uh, a, a rent an apartment? Does it mean I? And, uh, 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 you'll have to define the standard? What are your material necessities? What are your material, what are your material needs in order to accomplish that spiritual goal? How much do you really need in order to chant the Chandi? You need to be free from worldly obligations to the extent of your capacity. That means you can't be a burden to anyone else. That means I have to have self-sufficiency. Now, how do I define self-sufficiency? in terms of my guru's way of life, in terms of the Devi Munder's way of life, in terms of what do I really need in order to accomplish that self-sufficiency. These are the ways you'll create your budget. Please read the articles, and I think we even have a little video clip uh, in in how to make a budget. Uh, We'll put it on the website later this evening. We have a question from Moshimi in Boulder. in Boulder! (laughs) What are you doing in Boulder?
1: (laughs) Namaste. We're
0: missing you already. I'm looking around the room. Where are you?
1: Pranam Man, We miss you very much. Does the Mother Goddess feel pain when her creation forgets her? What is the cause of this pain? Does she feel duality or incomplete or separated from one part of herself? Do you know energy doesn't feel?
0: Energy only responds. So, if you misuse her energy and apply it to worldly tasks. Now, some of those worldly tasks are necessary and some of them are not. Like going home was not necessary. (laughs) (laughs) So you used a whole bunch of energy to get someplace far away from us where you should have been using it to stay here longer. But energy doesn't, doesn't qualify good or bad. Energy just moves in the, in the direction it's, it's intended to move in. So uh, energy is actually indifferent. Now, me personally, I feel sad when you go home. <laughs> I feel happy when you come here. So I'm not the mother, but I'm close. <laughs> I'm in the path of becoming a mother. And I feel bad about it. The energy doesn't feel bad. But I feel bad when you go far away, or when you forget about me, or when you go to New York, or London, Paris, or Rome in order to give presentations on how, to, how the sun reflects from the earth and, and, moves every, and gives its energy to everybody else. <laughs> I feel proud of you, but I feel sad because I'd rather you put that energy into the Devi Mandir and put it into the Chandi. Uh, So, Mother, as the infinite energy of all in everything, doesn't know good or bad
1: or happy or sad. But I do. We have a question from Srini in Bangalore. Namaste
0: Srini Baba, we're missing you. I'm gonna feel very happy when you reach here.
1: When a sadhu is unjustly deprived, does he fight, remain silent, or does he run away?
0: Well, (laughs) we have to understand we have a duty to speak out against injustice, as well as we have a duty to speak up for justice. So, both of those are required. Now, if we are feeling that we are unjustly deprived of something that we should have received, we have to understand our motivation. Am I going after the culprit because of greed, or selfishness, or a sense of injury, or for revenge, but these show, <laughs> or, Am I going after that in order to correct the incorrect behavior of some miscreant who was wrongly advised and shouldn't be allowed to get away with uh, with his wrong understanding? Do I want to create an educational situation so that this individual could correct his faulty behavior, or am I in it for me? And now once we understand that criteria, Srini Baba, we can decide whether it's appropriate for us to pursue it or write it off. Whether we want to pursue the recovery of the loss and get retribution and damages and various expenses. Or do we want punitive damages along with compensatory damages? Or do we just want to let it go? (laughs) What is our motivation in pursuing that individual, in righting that wrong? Once we know why we want to pursue, we can determine
1: whether it's worthy of our attention to do so. We have a question from Vidya Sagar. Namaste Vidya Sagar. Namaste. (laughs) It is currently very challenging to have enough time to chant the chandi in total every day. You're right! But everyday sadhana is important. Is is it better to chant a shorter version of the chandi every day, or just chant the full version a few days a week, per week, such as on the weekend? Can I give you one other alternative? Chant a shorter version every
0: day and chant the full thing once a week! yeah (laughs) yeah do something every day you gotta do it i mean it's like putting soap on your body you gotta take off the residue of dirt otherwise uh, it's gonna accumulate and you don't want the dirt to accumulate on your body and you don't want it to accumulate in your brain So clean your mind every day by remembering the Divine Mother is the energy of all in everything and everything is because of her and I'm doing everything I am doing because I love Mother. And now, do I really want to do that? (laughs) Is that really the highest expression of my love for God? This activity? Maybe it is, but that's a valuable question. How do I want to pursue, just like Srini's example in the last question, do I want to pursue that miscreant and get my punitive and my culpable damages and my compensatory damages and I want to pursue him to the end of the earth or am I trying to get, give him an education so he doesn't think that it's appropriate for him to earn extra for his selfish self by causing injury to others. What is my motivation? Yes, please. Ji, in verse 86, Yes, please. it has caused ignorance of egotism to fall upon those thoughts that are difficult, so difficult to understand. Oh, isn't it difficult to understand when too little comes to you and says, you don't have enough. And then he starts thinking, oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, I got to get some more. I don't have enough. Of course, that's the problem. I need more. And it's so difficult to understand. Wait, wait, that's, that's too little. That's the voice of too little speaking in my ear. It, it's not really my need. My desire is to chant the chandi. What do I need in order to do that? My desire isn't just to get more and say, "Okay, yeah." It's so difficult to understand. And when too much comes and speaks in our other ear and says, "Hey, you got too much. You got it. you can't chant the chandi. You got too much. You gotta protect it. The taxman's coming. <laughs> the they, the thief is coming. Somebody's gonna come and take it away from you. You gotta protect it." Uh, then we say, oh, yeah, I can't chant the chandi. i got to go protect my wealth. I've got to protect my stuff. It's so difficult to understand those two thoughts when they come. We think they're right. We buy into their proclamations immediately. We don't even ask, oh, wait a minute. What's my budget? How much do I need? What's my goal? What's my purpose? What's my function? Where am I going with this? How much do I need to get there? What constitutes too much and too little? I don't ask that question and that's why they are so difficult to understand. Every time they say you got too much, you got too little, you don't have enough, you got to get more. I just go with it and say, yeah, that's right. (laughs) Instead of saying, wait a minute, I have a budget I have a plan. I have a goal. I know how much I need. I don't have to listen to you. I'm going by the plan. And I'm not going to listen to this extraneous chatter. I'm going by the plan. I'm not going to allow society to dictate to me how much I need. Society doesn't know. I don't have to keep up with the Joneses or with the Guptas. same thing. I I I know what I need because I know where I'm going and I know what I want to do and I have a plan and I have a budget and I know where, where what what constitutes too much and too little. I have a rhythm of life and I can work according to my rhythm because I know what the goals are. As long as I don't know what the goals are, then too little is going to come and say, you better get some more. <laughs> Once you know what the goal is, I can say, how much does that cost? And that's what I need. That's why they're so
1: difficult to understand. We have a question from Vivekananda in Seattle. Namaste Vivek! When chanting the Chunny in the morning, throughout the text, my mind will try very hard to get me to feel bad about the quality of the chanting, the speed, etc. When I slow down and start to listen to the thoughts, there is a voice which yells, keep chanting. Is this correct to just keep chanting?
0: Yep. <laughs> it is. In fact, in the introduction, I worried about don't uh, don't worry about I wrote uh, don't worry about not pronouncing correctly. And don't worry about not understanding correctly. Just keep chanting. Just keep chanting. And the, the, the only person who understands it all and chants it correctly is Lord Chief. And to the extent that we are capable, we may become him. So don't worry about anything. Just try to keep chanting. Keep going. And and try to get into the rhythm and the bob. And then slowly look for roots words that you recognize and build up your vocabulary and go go on our website and read the vocabulary list that we've given you and give the root words and memorize the list of of Sanskrit roots and as you chant the text you'll be able to pick out the roots and then you'll understand what this is about and it doesn't matter if it was past tense or future tense it's all present tense! This is my story of me right now! I don't care about the history and I don't care about the projection into the future. This is the story of me today, right now. This is what's happening. My consciousness is asleep and too much and too little are battering me around and saying, Swami, you don't know what your goal is. Get up your duffet and go get some more so that you'll be prepared in any eventuality so that when you do define the goal, then you'll be able to know how much it's going to Cost and then you'll be able to do it. Stop! First, write down the goal. Then, write down the plan. Then, write down the budget. <laughs> then, you'll know how much is too little and how much is too much. And until those things don't happen, you'll keep saying, i got to go. I know one man in the Davey Munder has got to go every day. He's got to go. He's got to go get flowers. He's got to go get a quart of milk. He's got to go get a glass of juice. He's, he's, he's go town.
1: <laughs> Only oh, something <laughs> satisfying. <laughs> Namaste. Jan, Jan.